Hey everyone, I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up, and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you on another episode of Move the Ball. Today, inside the huddle with us and here to talk about his experience as a pro athlete and how it can help us to move the ball is Mikey Taylor. Mikey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And Mikey is currently the president and managing principal of Commune Capital, which is a private equity real estate investment firm and a serial entrepreneur at heart. Mikey's first round of success with nearly two decades of professional skateboarding led him to have such accomplishments such as over 100 signature skateboard decks, seven pro model shoes, and he was one of the most recognizable pro skateboarders on the planet. So I am really excited to have a conversation with Mikey today. So again, Mikey, glad to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. And we've been connected for for a couple of years now, and I just think that you've got such great perspectives and one that our listeners can really take so much away from. And the thing I love about sports is that all sports teaches us so many lessons that we can then apply outside the sporting context to be successful in life. And so what I'm going to do during our chat is I've got a number of questions that I want to ask you today, but I may mix in some football terms as well, just to show how there are similar lessons across all types of sports. Is that okay? Yep. All right. Great. So let's start off. So you're a pro skateboarder. Share with us first, like, how did you get into skateboarding and what what about it made you fall in love with it? I started off, this kid who was like one of the cool kids uh, showed up with a skateboard one day and I wanted to be cool. So I ran home and and convinced my parents to get me a skateboard so I could fit in. And it it started off just like that. And very quickly, it it kind of turned into an obsession for me. And there were two kind of big components to it. One, it was the first thing that I felt like I was truly competing with myself at. There was no one else. It was just me and how I could improve on it, which I liked. And two, skateboarding kind of changed the way I looked at the world. And and this would be one of the examples is prior to skateboarding, I looked at a handrail as an instrument that helped you walk downstairs. And the first time I saw somebody skateboard on it, it was like, oh my gosh, I have never looked at that thing to be used this way. And it kind of changed the way I looked at everything in front of me where everything became how could I skate that? And it was like really uh, kind of one of those like moments where I was like, oh my gosh, it's like I've been, you know, looking at everything in black and white. Now all of a sudden it's color. And that's like really what kind of started the infatuation with it. Oh, that's great. And it's kind of like there's a, it's a problem. There's a challenge, right? How can I skate that? So it gets those creative juices in the brain flowing to figure out how yeah. to skate it. That's right. And with skating you, you know, it's kind of different than any other sport in a sense of when you're going out and filming tricks, you can't do a trick that somebody else has already done on the spot you're skating. So it would be like, you know, somebody gets barreled at pipeline, no one could ever get barreled again. So it it really challenges you to think about a new way to do something on let's just use like a ledge, for example, on a ledge that feels like everything has been done. So it's, I think it was just, it, 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 there was a creative element to it that I just didn't realize I had before. 
but I think those are like the two things. It was like competing with myself, the creative element. And then also, I guess if there was a third skating was so small and, and when I started skating, no one liked skaters. And so if you were a skater, there was this like sense of like family in it. Like, you know, if you went to a different city and didn't know somebody in that, they had a skateboard, they treated you as if they've known you forever. If you needed a place to stay, eat, they completely had your back. And so there was an element that was like, dude, this is my community. And there was a certain support you felt in skating that I just have never felt in anything else still, I think to this day. Oh, that's great. And if there was somebody who really made a tremendous impact in your life from the skating community, who would that have been? Or who is that? Oh, man, probably three people. One would be this guy, Eric Costin, who was just my favorite skater growing up. He was just the best. So I always looked at what he was doing. And the other two would be a guy, Jamie Thomas, and a guy, Rob Deerdick. Jamie Thomas was the first skater I saw that owned the brands that he was representing or uh, marketing. And Rob Deerdick was one of the first pros I met who ended up turning me pro and kind of mentored me in a lot of ways on how to maneuver through the industry. And then I kind of watched how he transitioned out of it. And uh, he's just been a big, I, I would say those three have really influenced how I skated, how I viewed the industry, and ultimately how I transitioned out of it. Okay. And how has being a professional skateboarder made you a better person for one, and also really prepared you to be successful in other ventures? It's made me a better person. With skateboarding, everyone is equal. There's, it doesn't matter where you came from. If you came from the ghetto, if you came from money, the color of your skin, There, it is truly, you are a skater and we are good. So there is, I think, an element that has really humbled me with dealing with just people throughout the world is I I don't, I don't view people as like how high they are on the social class. Uh, And I think a lot of that just came from feeling like everyone is the same. It's just, if you skate or if you don't, I would say would be the, you know, the line for us. And then how I use skateboarding in the business, gosh, probably the skateboarding probably more than anything taught me how to be just completely relentless. And I think that's just due to how hard skateboarding is. And the fact that I had to try to learn how to ollie, which is the very first trick you learn, you know, it took me eight months to be able to learn how to do my first ollie. And then the second trick took another six months so that the amount of time and energy you spend learning it kind of has taught me that it doesn't matter how long something takes. It just matters that you succeed. And so I've definitely, I think, implemented that into business where I'm so comfortable just going through hell to be able to get to where I want to go. And since it does take so long, since it took you so long to learn how to do that, Ollie, as an example, like how do you stay focused and committed? Because oftentimes we want things to happen right away. We want that instant gratification. And how did you stay focused to be like, you know what, I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to figure this out no matter what. You got to be in love with what you're doing. It's, I, I think it's the only way. It, it, I, people ask me all the time, how do, you, how do you put up with things when they suck and they're brutal? If you hate what you're doing, there's no, there's, I don't have an answer for you. You put through the pain and the suffering when you're so in love with what you're trying to accomplish that you're willing to go through the things that necessary that in other worlds wouldn't be fun. And I still deal with it now. Like everything I do is not fun. There's a lot of it that sucks, but but I'm so in love with with taking it to the end goal or, or or the purpose that's driving me that 
it's just what I have to go through. It's, it's a different type of motivation and drive that I only think you get when your purpose or love is aligned. Yes, I completely agree with that. And, and you know, they, they say that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And there's some truth in, in that for for sure. And when I left my corporate job to go on my entrepreneurial journey, I certainly worked many more hours than I did in the corporate space, you know, till up till one, two, 3am. And people were like, man, you're going to burn out. And I was like, I'm, it doesn't feel like work because I'm just enjoying, I love what I'm doing. And so you're put, you're willing to go through all the, the mundane stuff and the not fun stuff to get to the things that, that you really want to do and the, the outcomes that you want to see. That's right. I totally agree. And I think the things that, you know, like something as simple as, uh, for example, two days ago, I spent the entire day. It was, I woke up at six from six to six. I spent on my computer writing letters to all of our investors, right? And, and something happened with our system and it, it couldn't become an automated process or a mass process. So we'd individually write out each one, right? It was in any other case if somebody just said, hey, you got to go write these letters and it's going to take you 12 hours and you're going to be sitting in your office. I would have said, I don't want to do that. That's brutal. But because they are a part of what we're trying to build, it was like, all right, cool. And I'm sitting here doing it like thinking like, yeah, I could be doing something else. But like, this is insane because this is helping us get to where we want to go. So it definitely makes things that would normally suck not so bad. Right. Yeah. And I think when you're really passionate about what you're doing, your level of commitment is you're 110%, you know, all in no matter, no matter what. So I want to shift a little bit and let's talk about rejection, which is also something that we often see on the way to success. Now, I, I watched a video where you had talked about when you were a kid getting sponsorships and you shared, well, I'll let you share a little bit about that, uh, that story instead of me telling it. So when I turned 16, my parents wanted me to get a job and I didn't want to get a job because I wanted to keep skating. And so I came up with this idea and uh, basically what I presented to them was, well, look, if I could give sponsors to give me free stuff, I could take the extra stuff that I'm not using, sell to the kids. I'll have money. What do I need a job for? I'll have skateboard shoes, clothes, and some extra money. And my parents, I think, thought it was so crazy. They're like, yeah, sure. Go on and do it. And so I made a film of me. I, I had a kid that had a camera film this video of me. It was about three minutes long. It was on a VHS tape. And I went through the skate magazines and looked for any company that had an ad in the magazine where they included their address. And so I just basically made my tape, put the address on it, put attention team manager. I had no access to these companies. And I sent, I think, 40, 40 tapes out. And I didn't get one call back. And so I called the filmer that, that made the video for me. I told him the video needed to be better and we had to go out and do it again. And so I made another new video. I sent 40 new ones out pretty much to the same exact companies and three out of the 40 called me. And that was the first time I started getting free stuff was going through that experience. And how did you, I mean, when we don't get any callbacks from something, it's not a fun feeling. It's We're not happy. It's just like, man, that sucks. How did you kind of say, okay, you know what? I'm going to pick myself back up. I'm going to try again and let's keep pursuing this. That would probably be one of the lessons I learned from skating. And I think ultimately why I'm so thankful for it. In skating, you, you fail so much more than you succeed. You truly fail 99% of the time. Even to the point when I was skating to the best of my ability, when I would go out and film a trick, a lot of times I would try the trick for 
three hours and then land at one time. And that's usually jumping off stairs and handrails. You know, the, the process in which it takes for you to film a trek is so defeating and you kind of have to work through this mental and physical battle to be able to get to the point of accomplishing. And I think just that process became so comfortable for me that I started viewing failure and rejection differently than prior to me skateboarding. And prior, I would say, I would view rejection as somebody saying, you're not good enough. And I would take it as, okay, I'm not good enough. But after skateboarding, I, I viewed failure and rejection as just part of the process that you naturally have to go to, to achieve. And once you view it as that, it doesn't feel so defeating. It just feels ordinary and normal. And so it's just part of the process. I, I guess it'd be similar to a sales process. What do, what do they tell, tell sales guys when they're learning how to sell? You're going to hear no 90% of the time. You got to keep pushing forward. No is just part of the process. And so I just hung on to that. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's important. I mean, we all hear the word no at some point in our our lives. And I like to tell people now that if somebody tells you no, it just means that they're not meant to be on the journey with you, but you just keep going and you get to the yeses that are going to come if you stick with it. Have you, do you know who Grant Cardone is? I do know who Grant Cardone is. Yes. I was with Grant last night and uh, his, his story about the way he met his wife is incredible, but he got his wife's number when they first met and called her and she didn't pick up the phone. And so for the next 10 months, he called her every other week and left her a message. Hey, it's Grant. I don't know if you got my message. Call me when you get this. Every other week for 10 months, she didn't call him back once till finally she called him back. And, and Grant's kind of famous quote, what he learned from that is, if you don't quit, you can't fail. And I think that kind of sums up this whole conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've heard, um, I've not spoken to Grant personally, but I've heard him tell that story before. And it's, yeah, it's just, you know, being relentless and keeping after what it is you want. And so let's talk about how that has translated into your entrepreneurial ventures. You had a few years back, you had founded this uh, St. Archer Brewing Company, which was a craft beer company, and it was ultimately sold to Miller Coors in 2015. Talk to us a little bit about your experiences there and when things weren't going right, and you had to continue to persevere and really just overcome obstacles. I would say, thankfully, with St. Archer, my two partners were of the same exact mindset as myself. One of my partners is Paul Rodriguez, who's arguably the best skateboarder to ever step on a skateboard. His mental discipline is probably even beyond that. And then uh, my other partner, Josh Landon, was uh, a filmmaker who will not accept no. So I think having us three go through that together was really encouraging. And just, I mean, using like the very beginning of the company, we had to raise money to start it. We, us three had no business experience and we had to go out and raise two and a half million dollars in an industry that was perceived as incredibly competitive uh, and saturated. So you could imagine how many people said, no, what are you guys talking about? I'm not giving you money. You have no clue what you're doing. You're getting into an industry because it sounds cool. And so, yeah, that was probably the big, the first thing we realized that, uh, People are saying no, and we have to keep pushing through. But you know, for anyone who raises capital, that'll test you. It really will. It's a lot more rejection. So I would say that helped in that situation where people say no, it doesn't mean you don't keep doing what you're doing. 
Gotcha. And so as you continued on with the company, were there any times where you or your business partners fumbled the ball? Here's the football term, fumbled the ball. And when that happened, how did you bounce back? Gosh, uh, yes. So in the beginning, we had a, a our, we had a system that filled the bottles with beer and and there was a rod that would go into the bottle and and fill the beer and one of the rods fell out into the bottle and then the bottle kept moving down the process top went on and got shipped out it was actually two rods on the same batch and josh my partner was at uh some market and one of the employees looking at beers is looking at our section one of the employees kind of started talking to him josh told him who he was and and the guy goes hey so i got one of your bottles that had a metal rod in it and you know josh almost throws up in his mouth he's like panicking but he plays it off he's like oh what are you talking about and the guy kind of told him and and josh was like do you still have it and uh, the guy was like, yeah, you have it in the back. And Josh was like, can I have it? I want to bring it back. I don't know what happened. And he's like, yeah. So Josh runs back to the brewery, sees our brewer, and he's like, hey, what the hell is this? And the brewer goes, oh, you found it. There's another one out there. And we just full on panicked. Uh, we called our distribution who still had uh, all the crates of our beer before it got shipped out. And Josh was like, hey, we need to just come out. Like, you know, we, we had an issue running inventory can we kind of search our stuff? And they're like, yeah. So, and, and I'm, I'm back home. I'm on the phone. Josh, give me the update. Give me the update. Give me the update. And uh, after four hours of searching for the bottle, he found it. Uh, it was like the last crate in there and we pulled it out and that could have been a massive lawsuit. We had to let go of the brewer and, <laughs> you know, we, we kind of realized that it, it, we've got to have some of these things buttoned up and, and, I think the brewer was just one of them. There were a lot of things that were happening with him uh, that weren't ideal that we were, that we were kind of letting him slide on and uh, we should have let him go prior, prior to when we did. So that was how the outcome came out. Thankfully it didn't go worse than it did. Did you feel like you, you mentioned that you had some issues with this brewer before was this was like, this was a big deal obviously, but in hindsight, do you think that maybe you should have had a conversation with the brewer and let them go sooner? And the reason I ask this is sometimes it's easy for us to keep people in our circle, either our professional business circle or in our personal life, because it's more convenient than it's more work to have those conversations and to let go and cut ties. So would you, do you think that in hindsight, you guys should have let them go and let this particular brewer go sooner? Uh, 100%. This is kind of the you learn through experience, right? We didn't have experience doing this. And, and one of that was probably one of the most valuable things I learned is how important it is to take your time hiring and how quick you need to be to fire. And, you know, I think just to your point, when you, when you're working with people, you naturally build relationships with them and having to let them go sucks. There's no way around it. It, it sucks. You feel for them. You want to give them a second chance. You want to hope that they're that they can improve but a lot of times that's not the case and the longer you allow them to make mistakes the more the more risk you're putting on the company failing and that's hard i think relationships like you said follow the same suit a lot of times we see the best in people and we suffer kind of being the backlash of people that have shitty quality i guess they're not qualities <laughs> what would you call it Output, performance, product. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That, that we just don't 
take, we, we don't want to do what's uncomfortable. I think that's what it comes down to. Like, instead of just like going out and saying, Hey, this isn't working. This is what I don't like. You need to change. You need to leave. We would rather be comfortable not having to say it and deal with the pain that they bring us. And I, I think that's, we do that with a lot of things. I think it, it transpires beyond people. It's just, we don't like being in uncomfortable spots. Yeah, I agree. And I hope to the folks that are listening, I mean, if you're in situations where you need to make some moves and you haven't been doing it, then you really take some time and and have the courage to have those conversations because it's not fun and it's uncomfortable, but you need to kind of just have that courage to to have those conversations and move on and pick the people that you need to have on your team and get rid of the rest. That's right. I'm going to add something to it if you don't mind. This is something that I've learned that's really beneficial. When you see something going on, you need to confront it as soon as possible because the longer it goes on without you checking it, the the bigger of an issue it becomes. And if your goal is, and it really should be, take your time. What do they say? Hire, slow, fire, fast, right? Take your time bringing people on. Talk to them right when something happens. If it doesn't change, you have to get rid of them and move on. It's 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 one of the most important things I've learned in business is snipping things right when things happen. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And thank you for sharing that point. So let's flip this and talk about a positive. Tell us about the most satisfying moment for you in any of your entrepreneurial ventures, this brewing company or another venture. The most satisfying moment for me, there's probably two moments. One, the first time I saw St. Archer in the market was a pretty big experience, just taking an idea and seeing somebody, you know, seeing it sold to the public. That was a big moment for me, probably more so than us selling the company. And then I think probably finishing our first round of of investment for our first project in Commune was probably the second. And I say that because I started skateboarding. I I started saying, I started St. Archer with my partners while I was still skateboarding. And then when my career ended, that was by far the most difficult time in my life. And to have crawled out of that and then for that to lead to creating Commune, I, I think that still feels to this day like my biggest accomplishment. So those probably were the two moments. Great. Thank you for sharing. What I want to do now is switch gears. And I, I do this two-minute drill with every guest. And so I'm going to ask you some quick questions, kind of like a speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite food? Sushi. What's your favorite movie? <sighs> Goonies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your favorite sports team? Lakers. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've gotten from a coach or a mentor? Oh, gosh, that's not going to be a quick one. <laughs> Man, own yourself, probably. I like that. What's the best piece of advice that you would give to someone? Treat people like you want to be treated. Love that. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, man. I hate scary movies. I hate them to death. <laughs> okay. And if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? Uh, Superman. Probably because I could fly and there's only one thing on this planet. It's not even on this planet that I don't like. There you go. <laughs> okay, cool. So before we wrap up today's show, you have two super cute daughters and a beautiful wife and one baby on the way that I know you're waiting to find out the gender. And you know that I'm a parent as well. And so as parents, it's really important for us to pass on lessons to our kids that we think are really important and will help them as they're growing up. So 
what is a big lesson or something that you really want to pass on to your children? Um, oh man, it's more of a belief system, but more than anything, I want to instill this idea that when they hear people talking or they're looking for information, they know that they need to go out, study both sides, formulate an opinion, and then I want them to be able to articulate why they believe the way they do. That would probably be the, the thing that I think is the most important for us to, that we're trying to instill in them is that process. And then more than anything, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to empower them. I, I want them to believe that that they have the ability to do whatever they do and never to be dependent on having somebody else do it. That's great. Good lessons to, to teach your, your kids. And so as we're closing the show, tell our listeners, what's the best social channel to follow you? We'll put that in the show notes and any other links, but let people know how, how they can follow you and see what you're up to. Instagram is probably the biggest one. Uh, it's just my name. And then all the rest, you can kind of get there from there. LinkedIn's my name, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Uh, and then uh, the only one that's different is TikTok. It's still my name, but TikTok I'm using just for fun, uh, where the other ones have more of a purpose of trying to create value and stuff like that. Okay. And we'll be sure to put all of those in the show notes for everyone. And thank you again so much for being on our show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. And thanks everyone again for listening and we will talk to you on the next episode. Again, if you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button for the podcast so that you don't miss an episode going forward. Until next time, keep moving the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.